This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Chicago Coliseum, July 9th, 1896. Moses ascended the mountaintop. Mount Sinai was the podium rising above the Sea of Delegates. Two stone tablets decreed that the U.S. government's monetary supply be backed with reserves of silver instead of gold, along with a zealous commitment to heal the wounds that America's 1% had inflicted on everyone else. Greedy idolaters had worshipped capitalism's golden calf for far too long. That's why God, in his infinite mercy and wisdom, had finally sent America a prophet. 36 years old, his name, William Jennings Bryan. The seething mass of humanity inside Chicago's enormous brand new Coliseum looked up to Bryan. The Democratic Party's nomination for President of the United States, whose imposing height, massive head, and piercing brown eyes made him a striking figure. As Bryan held forth the Democratic's proposed national platform, they shouted and cheered, frantically waving red bandanas in a sign of solidarity with the global workers' movement that had been sweeping Europe for decades. For the first time at this convention, the delegates saw a man of presidential timber on the stage above them. And for the first time in generations, they actually saw a savior. The sweltering Chicago heat and the stench of thousands of sweating bodies inside the convention hall threatened to overcome him. But Brian steadied himself for this moment atop Sinai. His knuckles turned white as he grabbed the sides of the lectern. He had never lacked for confidence. So now that thousands of eyes among the party faithful were upon him, now that reporters were furiously scribbling his every word in their notebooks, now that the moment he had been waiting for his whole life was upon him. William Jennings Bryan knew he would not falter. Bryan had arrived in Chicago uncertain of his chances of becoming his party's presidential nominee. But as his speech progressed, he became convinced that victory was his. A new monetary policy based on the coinage of silver, free silver, had proven to be an even more enticing message than he'd expected. The new supply of money would relieve crippling debts for the farmers and other impoverished voters Brian sought to mobilize. As he neared the climax of his remarks, he mustered every last ounce of energy he could and unleashed some of the most famous lines in American political rhetoric. If they dare come out in the open field, he thundered, and defend the gold standard as a good thing. We shall fight them to the uttermost, having behind us the producing masses of the nation and the world, and having behind us the commercial interests and the laboring interests and the toiling masses. Brian paused, raised his hands above his head, and continued, We shall answer their demands for a gold standard by saying to them, You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. He brought his hands down around his head, as if he were placing an imaginary crown on top. Then he stretched out his arms to the sides, 
palms towards the delegates and took a deep breath and bellowed, You shall not crucify mankind upon the cross of gold. Moses had now morphed into Jesus, and the multitude assembled thought that they were witnessing the second coming. Their shouts thundered through the Colosseum, shaking its steel girders and echoing down city blocks in every direction. Bedlam broke loose, exclaimed a stunned Washington Post correspondent. Delirium reigned supreme. In the spoken word of the orator, thousands of great men had heard the unexpressed sentiments and hopes of their own innermost souls, end quote. With that speech in 1896, the era of progressivism and the progressives featuring the biggest liars in American history had begun. Many experts have written about progressivism, and I've talked about it on the air for more than a decade now. So I'm guessing that you're already a little bit familiar with its frightening and demonstrable outcomes. The insatiable thirst for control and the betterment of others, the determination to build a massive, all-controlling welfare state that holds the rest of us hostage to its preferences and its whims, and the flirtation with totalitarianism masked by the guise of political correctness. Progressives regularly espouse ideas and support causes that openly involve the loss of free will, murder or mutilation of their fellow human beings, always in the name of a better world for all. When their policies are actually implemented, they unfailingly achieve the opposite of their promised results. And yet, despite this, no amount of empirical data seems to dissuade progressives and their acolytes from embracing their flawed policies the next time around, even when they can easily be shown to be disastrous. Given these failures time and time again, it's only right to wonder, how is it that progressive leaders and voters continue to cling to policies and programs that just simply never work? Are progressive leaders such masters of lying and deception that their followers can easily be fooled, even in the face of undeniable evidence? Or is it rather that the followers of progressivism are so eager to be lied to that they willfully ignore the facts and reason. We search for this answer and find it in the book Liars. And the answer is really both. Our answers among all creatures that have ever existed are endowed by their creator with something unique in the animal kingdom, something that sets us apart from every other living organism. As we discussed this difference, as it was encapsulated by the anthropologist Ernest Becker in his book, The Denial of Death, Justin Wheeler explains. Primary premise here is that human beings are the only creature that is both aware of and um, conscious of its own, our own permanent demise, that death is going to reach all of us. It's unavoidable. So we have this dichotomy in man. We want to live, we have the same instincts of other animals, we want to, to live and progress, but ultimately we are going to fail in that mission. We know, as other creatures do not, that we're going to die. That fear of death helps us to survive, as individuals, and ultimately as a species. And that's what makes progressivism so, so powerful in people's lives, is you, know, you have this fear dynamic, so there's this unconscious, never-ending fear that something is going to get us. And we, we inherited that through evolutionary biology, 
We share it with all mammals. If you look at a herd of deer out in the field, they are constantly on the lookout for something that's going to come get them. They flip their tails, they eat a little bit, and they look up and they look around. Unconsciously, human beings do that all the time. We are in a constant state of fear. But what keeps us going forward or progressing? Other psychologists have gone further than Becker and actually refer to it as terror management theory. Interesting. Uh, The Worm at the Core is a book that talks about that. Um, And it literally is that we unconsciously were in this constant state of fear. And so what the human brain had to develop over time to counteract that was what we refer to as the quintessential human emotion. And that is hope. Hope is the counteragent to the fear that it's constantly there eating away at us. And hope is what gives us the strength to go on, even though consciously we are aware that any given day we are going to die. Hope is what enables inherently irrational action against all impossible odds, fighting each battle while knowing that the war will eventually be lost. Dr. Jerome Groupman, a Harvard Medical School professor who has spent years studying the science of hope, discovered that the brain releases chemicals that cause a hopeful sensation after a traumatizing experience. Hope helps us overcome hurdles that we otherwise couldn't scale. He wrote, and it moves us forward to a place where healing can occur, end quote. These chemicals create an effect almost identical to that of morphine, a calming, peaceful sensation. Hope and change, anyone? Fear and hope, the two things that make humans unique, the two things that the progressive movement has tapped into for centuries now. Wheeler gives a modern example of how big government progressives play off this fear by enlisting hope, fear and hope, feelings that are not always rational. So take something like uh, the war on poverty. No matter what facts and figures you present in front of them, say, look, the war on poverty has created more impoverished people. No matter how much money you spend on it, all it does is make people addicted to the program itself. It doesn't actually solve the problem. What they want is something that makes them feel good not right. something that actually does good. Yeah. And that's the significant difference between, um, you know, I think what you're talking about, this, this illogical thing, Ayn Rand referred to this in Atlas Shrugged as the blink out. Like somehow liberals are able to shut off the rational part of their mind and not incorporate it into their decision making. And Becker's premise was basically that the fear of, of all these things, the thing that might destroy us, the thing that might kill us, the thing that prevents us from living on forever and having a heroic image, The fear of that is so great that we are capable of shutting off our rational mind. Author Bob Hamp, who wrote the book Think Differently, Live Differently, discusses the importance of emotional health in the realm of the two ideas that have been competing in America since its inception. One of the core issues of emotional health is independence, freedom and responsibility. And in, in family theory, you know, family psychology, the idea is that people, are all, everyone's supposed to move from dependence to independence. The process of individuation is central to emotional maturity and emotional health. And so at, at every family, in, in every family system, you've got two problems on the table at any given time. One of them is, what are we dealing with now? Is there a family crisis? Is there a circumstance? Are we trying to move from one house to another? And in the midst of that, are we creating dependence in our family are we creating independence in our family? Emotional health is based around independence or an internal locus of control. Independence, dependence, and control. The root of the conflict between a free people and progressives who claim they know better for mankind. In the next episode, 
a look at the thinkers from the last several hundred years who set the stage for where we are today. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen.